But hey, uh, man, excited about today. And I want to ask you, I mean, do you guys have any contentions going on in your homes? Yeah, so only you and I. That's good. So we have one of the ones in my home is that like my why I have two boys. My wife has three boys, if you know what I mean, you know. And but but we we run into contention every time we watch a movie. And I don't know if this happens with you, but my boys and I have this ability to actually let the movie unfold as it's supposed to and kind of come to the end and understand things you didn't know at the beginning. My wife isn't good at that. Like she begins asking questions in the first five, 10 minutes. And I kind of tell her like, if I knew that answer, this wouldn't be a very good movie. It's like, oh, we know that's what happens already. Let's go to another movie. We only needed 10 minutes. And literally when we're gonna watch a movie together, my boys will say, mom, if you're gonna watch this with us, you can't ask questions and you can't talk during it. You gotta just let it happen. So how many of you struggle with just letting it happen? Okay, some of you. How many of you are like me? You do things the normal way. Okay, good. So. You know, but this is an area like and and here's the reality. I bring that up because, you know, how you see the big picture affects how you see its parts. And and my wife is such a parts person that she gets thrown off and, and it makes it difficult for We've tried to read a book together once. Oh, my goodness. That will never happen again. My wife reads through or three chapters and when she puts it down and she opens it back up, she goes back a chapter to go to start over again. And it takes her like years to read one book because she reads it actually like three times, you know, to get through. And but so backing up's important. And that's what we've been doing in this Radical Unity series. We've been kind of backing up, trying to get this bigger picture of this redemptive story throughout the Bible to see that there's this radical unity story going on. And that's what we've been covering each and every week. We talked about the Old Testament and the law that kind of went away into the New Testament of love through Christ. We kind of looked at the teachings of Christ, the interactions of Christ, the prayer of Christ, that's so much focused on this radical unity idea. We looked at his death. We looked at the early church in the book of Acts where unity was kind of challenged, right? Uh, right in the early church, there's unity when the Jews were struggling with Gentiles coming in and then as the Jews kind of got out of the picture and the Gentile group uh, uh, church grew in Rome, then when the Jews came back and now you have Paul writing, we looked at last week, to Rome, to these Gentile Christians that were struggling with the Jews coming in. We looked at how theology matters and this theology of radical unity is so consistent and found throughout. What a journey we've been on. So this morning, we're going to continue that journey. We're going to take a look at some of Paul's other letters. These letters of Paul to different churches are called epistles. They're letters that he wrote to churches, most of whom he visited or even planted. If you read throughout Acts, you'll see that Paul journeyed to different cities and planted churches. And then later on, he wrote letters back to those churches as he heard different things going on. There was different issues arose and he would write these letters to them, just like he wrote to the church of Rome that we looked at last week. But in each of these uh, books that we're going to look at, we're just going to look at Galatians, Ephesians and Colossians today. Radical unity is definitely a key point in these books. Uh, a matter of fact, the verses we're going to look at right now are ones that we used throughout this series. Uh, let's take a look at Galatians. Galatians 3, verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. We've been looking at that throughout this series. 
This idea that no longer is it by bloodline, no longer is it by cultural status, no longer is it by gender. This separation that happened, Jesus came to bring together. Or what about Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14? For he himself is our peace, who made the two one and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. And we talked about the hostility over and over again, the religious hostility, the political hostility, that Jesus came to tear down that hostility, to bring peace amongst people. And that's what Paul was writing to the Ephesians church. Or in Colossians, Colossians 3, verse 11, here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Very similar to the list he wrote in Galatians, but different, different things they're dealing with. He adds in there things like barbarians, right? It's like, oh, and we're one with the barbarian. Can you imagine? I could, I don't even know what that is, right? But that was a big deal that they are one in Christ as well. These are some powerful verses, powerful verses about unity, about the walls being torn down through Christ, through his life, his death, and his resurrection. And that's the vision we've been challenged with over the last seven weeks. This vision of radical unity. This vision that through Christ, through his church, has the power to radically transform the world as we come together in unity. But as we talk about the church, as we talk about big picture ideas of seeing this unity and this transformation in the world, I want us to be reminded of something here. The church is not a building. The church is not an organization. What is the church? What's the church? It's us. It's people. We are the church. And we need to understand as individuals, we make up something that is far greater and more amazing than just one person. It's so much more amazing than an organization. It's so much way more amazing than a building. It's us. So, so as we've been going through this series, I, I kind of wanted to tweak today our vision statement, the thing we hear every week here. And this is how I put it up there. Thousands of individual people empowered by the Holy Spirit to live together in radical unity in order to advance the cause of Christ. So that's this vision. And over and over again, Paul would teach these churches, would send these letters to these churches, and he would teach them to live in certain ways. And there's some pretty consistent things he taught them to live into. And I believe that he was teaching them to live into radical unity. So even though he doesn't use that term necessarily in the books, he's definitely teaching into it. And so we're going to first look at that. We're going to look at the teachings that Paul taught. And I want you to ask yourself a question. If you were to take this teaching that Paul did and you were to apply it in your life, would it create more unity or less unity in your life? And I think it's important. Again, we need to back away today. Today we're going to back away from this world transformation. Because the world won't be transformed until our homes are, right? And our just neighborhoods and our relationships that we have in our sphere of influence. Relationships at work or at school or on teams or wherever, at the gym, whatever it might be. 
And so let's, we're going to back away a little, and we're going to take a little bit smaller of a look at where you're at right now. So the first one's in Galatians. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. The church in Galatia was, Galatia was the one that was really battling with this fight between the old Jewish customs and the new way of Christ. I mean, if you read Galatians, he goes after that separation to bring together. But, but in this teaching, he encourages them to live in a certain way. And I, I don't want to ask you, if you were to take like the fruit of the Spirit, that list, and you were to set it in front of your heart and in front of your mind each and every morning, let's just say, yeah, I mean, I know this is a crazy idea, but let's say that you take that verse, right? And in the morning, you set that down, you read through it, and you say, God, give me the ability through your Spirit to live this out starting right here in my home when I leave this house, when I get into my work, but whatever. Do you think that if God answered that prayer and began to get you to see this as a way of life, that it might create more or less unity in your life? I just want you to think about it in your own, in your own life, just in your own heart. How might things begin to change as each day was a conscious focus on that? Ephesians 4, he, he teaches in the same way to the Ephesians church. Ephesians 4, 31, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander among with every other form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive each other just as in Christ God forgave you. What about that passage? What, what if you were to work out like truly desiring to get rid of the first part of that list? I, I mean, unless bitterness, rage, and anger are your thing, you know? Maybe it is. But most people I know that that is their thing, they don't like it as their thing. I've yet to find someone go, I just like when I just get enraged at home. It feels so good. I just walk outside, yeah, that's what was needed, man. Fires me up, right? So, but, but what if we moved away from those things and instead we took that other list, right? Kindness, compassion, forgiving. Would you say that more unity would be developed in your life or less? How might things change if each day you set your conscious mind on that? He does this in Colossians 2. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, he says, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other. Forgive whatever grievance you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And above all these things, put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. I can honestly tell you, you've heard if you've been around me at all, this verse over the last three, four years has probably been the most impactful verse in my life. The, the idea of bearing with each other, forgiving and loving. I mean, there's just no doubt in my mind that Paul consistently teaches a way of life that would create radical unity if followed. Do you agree with that or disagree? Agree or disagree? I mean, that, that's what he teaches into. He teaches into a way of life that I believe would create more unity. And as I mentioned at the beginning, I mean, um, we're talking about uh, so much about how radical unity can affect the world, but I just want us to close our time together with focusing on how radical unity might change us. Because there's verses that are tied to these verses that he teaches on how to live that are life-changing ideas. 
It's actually an invitation to life, not some legalistic hoop to jump through. And when, you, when we look at this, I hope that it might encourage you. That living in a radical unity, man, for some of us, man, we, we're pushing back. Man, we're some people that are pushing back on this radical unity thing. Like, I don't want to be unified with those people way over there or this over here. Okay, okay, we're, I'm going to back away from that right now, right? I was going to say, like, okay, what about in our own lives, how it might impact our own lives? Let's start there, and let's see how this might impact us. Because I know for me, the more centered on this way of thinking I have become over the years... It has changed my life drastically. It's changed my life drastically. Here's the first thing that I want us to consider. Is that focusing on radical unity empowers us to experience the essence of the life of Christ here and now. Focusing on radical unity empowers us to experience the essence of the life of Christ here and now. How we see this, I'm going to go back to Galatians the fruit of the Spirit. Because he also talks about what's the opposite of the fruit of the Spirit. In that passage, before he gets to the fruit of the Spirit, he, he talks about the acts of the sinful nature. Here's the things on the sinful nature. Adultery, whoredom, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, envy, and the list kind of goes on. Let me ask you, if that was your list you set your mind on every day, do you think it would create more unity or less unity? Who says less unity? Okay, so this is the list, but it's what he says after that that really got me thinking about the power of this life of Christ in me. He says after that in Galatians 5.21, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. <laughs> this is a pretty heavy statement. And then he goes on to contrast with that by saying, but the fruit of the Spirit is, is these things. And, and here's the deal. I want to point something out. I want us to think about something. That when we see eternal life or we see the kingdom of God, I don't think, first and foremost, that Paul is talking about where we go after we die. We, our culture in the last 100, 200 years has hijacked the kingdom of God and eternal life as just like, it's after I die. Everything's after I die. What's going to happen after you die? And I don't think that's what he's talking about. Remember we looked at the prayer of Jesus. What is eternal life, Jesus said? That they may know God through Christ. Eternal life is knowing God. It's knowing God through the revelation of Jesus Christ. And it's experiencing the essence of life of Christ here, now, and forevermore. The Bible talks so much about here, about what we experience and live and understand here. And as we just, if we get caught up too much on this is all after we die, we're missing it. So as we live by the Spirit, as we walk in step with the Spirit, we are experiencing the kingdom of God. We are experiencing eternal life. That's why I feel so, when he says, man, but the, but the sin of the, this nature, this, this, this ways of the natural, it, you won't inherit. You won't experience the kingdom of God. If like rage and bitterness and all these things are yours, you're, you're not going to experience it. You won't experience the kingdom. But as you do, you will. I mean, think about it. If the fruit of the Spirit is the fruit of the Spirit, it's actually putting on display the character of God. 
this fruit of the Spirit passage has become one of the ones that when I think about the character of God, I go there. Because this is the fruit of the Spirit. It's the fruit of the character of God in and through your life. Here's, I man, may your vision of heaven become your vision of your life here and now. Whatever it is you're thinking, oh, I get the heaven's going to be like this. Okay, that's now. How might living into radical unity begin to help you to begin to experience that? I love what Dallas Willard said, one of my favorites. The gospel is not how to get to heaven after you die, but how to get to heaven before you die. How cool is that? And it could be a radical change. So when we focus on radical unity as laid out in the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, we will experience the very presence and essence of God in our lives. That is Him. Through Christ, the kingdom of heaven, eternal life here and now. And I think that is awesome. That's where we take Jesus' prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Where? Here, now. This is being done in heaven. What a beautiful picture. What a beautiful picture. And that's kind of the umbrella over, over the other two we're going to talk about, right? This kingdom of, I mean, Jesus came and talked about the kingdom of God. Jesus' message about the kingdom of God being near, being here, us experiencing it. It's not far. That was his message. If you look at the life, the Jesus, uh, the teaching of Jesus. These other ones kind of fall underneath that. Here's number two. Focus, focusing on radical unity allows the peace of Christ to rule in our hearts and minds. Focus on radical unity allows the peace of Christ to rule in our hearts and minds. We're going to look at that Colossians 3 passage. Because right after it says, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, and over all these virtues put on love, right after that, look at what it says, verse 15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body you are called to peace, and be thankful. And if I could somehow communicate how powerful, I'm going to try, how powerful this has been in my life. I, I mean, I don't know how to say it stronger, that this idea has radically changed me, that as I have focused on radical unity, I have found that whatever is going on around me in my home, with my wife or kids, what is going on in our culture and in the world around me just doesn't have as much power to strip me of the peace of Christ ruling in my heart. It's become what I want to be about. And, and when I think about making decisions to pursue unity through compassion, kindness, gentleness, and patience, not with the expectation of people returning that. Did you hear that? Do I need to say that again? As I pursue these fruits of the Spirit of kindness, compassion, humility, gentleness, and patience, and not having an expectation that that's going to be returned, I have found peace in my heart to be way more attainable. And this has not been easy. Oh, this has not been easy. <laughs> because you see, I had a 13-year-old boy in my house. That's when this verse began to impact me. When the battles began to ensue, when if he just would listen and do what we asked the first time instead of the 20th time, when why does he talk like that? What is, you know, when I began to realize I was giving complete control to my son over the peace that I had in my heart, and that's on me. 
that's on me. And I began to say, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do my best to live into kindness and compassion and humility and gentleness and patience. Boy, I sure want him to, right? So we are like two 13-year-olds fighting and arguing. I realized all of a sudden, maybe someone needs to act like an adult. Most of the time, we want our 13-year-old to, right? And we made, I made a difference, and it changed my life. Man, in this culture of disunity that we've been talking about for the last seven weeks, political, religious, just so much disunity, you know what hits me the most is how angry, hateful, and bitter people are. I'm talking Christians I know. You know what's going on out there. It's like, oh, my goodness. The anger and the hatred and the bitterness. Many of us have given everything and everyone around us way too much control over what rules your heart and minds. That's on you. If you, if you want to give control to everyone else, have fun. But if we live focused on radical unity and experience the peace of God through that, not expecting my 13-year-old to respond, but expecting me to live into this. I think the ability to love will begin to fill in your heart beyond anything you can ever imagine. And the peace of Christ ruling, oh, that term, the peace of Christ ruling, clothe yourself with these things and let the peace of Christ rule. So beautiful, so powerful. And the third one is focusing on the radical unity. Focusing on radical unity helps us to grow in the knowledge and understanding of the love of God. It helps us grow in the knowledge and understanding of the love of God. To be honest, this is going to be super deep. You ready? Nothing has opened my eyes more to love the love of God than love. Yeah, you like that? Nothing has opened my eyes up more to the love of God than love. And I know that sounds kind of weird, but I just want to tell you, I, what, what opens my eyes up to the love of God is not sitting in this book necessarily in my closet. It's living out life. And I'm not talking tiptoeing through the tulips kind of love. I'm talking about love that has its foundation and struggle and difficulty. Love that is built out of conflict and having differences of opinions and thoughts and failures. I'm talking about love when it's not easy. And you continue to move forward. Going back to Ephesians where he talked about love, he, right after that verse we talked about in Ephesians 5, he says, be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I mean, I, I think the call to be imitators of God by loving makes total sense as long as our desires to have a deeper knowledge and understanding of God's love. If that's our desire, man, I just want to know the love of God more, then love for goodness sakes. And you'll experience it. You'll know it. You'll understand it. And isn't knowing the love of God in a deeper and richer way, really kind of like the goal in a sense, to have a deeper, richer understanding of God's love that empowers us even more. I mean, nothing empowers us to love as much as being loved. 
And that's why throughout the scriptures, it's almost like every verse that talks about loving is tied to being loved. Read through the Old New Testament. Like, man, love as you were loved, loved as you've been loved, loved as God showed you he loved you. But it's always that tying in. I mean, we're being invited to understanding the love of God by loving and by being loved. I mean, I know I'm loved by God, but my wife is the one that has shown me that day in and day out. Probably more than I've shown her because I'm a lot harder to love than she is, right? And if I want my kids to see that and my kids want me to see that, and that's where we're at, it's a pretty powerful thing. It's beautiful. In fact, I want to close our time with a prayer that Paul prays in the book of Ephesians. And he prays in Ephesians 3, verse 17. He says this, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, being rooted and established in love. I think being rooted in love is I'm loved by God through Christ and I'm rooted in the love, but being established means that I'm experiencing it through loving, radical unity, loving others, not the easy ones, but all of them, right? Loving everyone everywhere. I know I had a person come up to me because I don't want to love everyone everywhere. Okay. But, but when you learn to do that, you're going to get a deeper. So being rooted and established in love, that we may have power together with all the saints. I and mean, when you think about us as a church, as a community that's living in radical unity, having power to accomplish something, what do you want to accomplish? Paul tells us, check this out, that we have power with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. How cool is that? As we live in radical unity, together we begin to have the power to grasp this love that is beyond knowledge. And then it says that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. How cool is that? That's the essence of Christ in our life. That's the kingdom of God. That's eternal life. That's life now. And we experience it more as we live into it. There's no way and no doubt that there's a global reason to pursue radical unity. It's so important. We want to advance the cause of Christ to all people. We want to see this world transformed by love and beauty and acceptance, right? We want to see God's love to transform. But I just want to let you know that there's also some pretty powerful personal reasons as well. And really, it's when that impacts me that it begins to impact my home and my neighborhood and the community I live in, and it goes out from there. It will empower you to experience the essence of Christ in your life, eternal life, the kingdom of God, as you live into it. It allows the peace of Christ to rule in your heart instead of everything else. It is so freeing. It is so freeing when the power of the love of Christ is what gives you peace and you can live into this radical unity. And it just builds that. And it will help you grow in your knowledge and understanding of God's love. Bottom line is that pursuing radical unity just might change your life. And become the foundation of experiencing God and advancing the cause of Christ. And oh, how I long more of that in my life. And I hope you might long more in your life. It's an invitation. It's an invitation to life. Here, now, and forevermore. And it's beautiful. And it's what Christ holds out to us. Come to me. My yoke is easy. My burden is like come and experience life of abundance. Come to me. Taste and see. 
come find life for your soul. Father God, I just thank you so much for this big picture that we see throughout the scriptures. What a beautiful invitation. As Paul teaches in this way of life, this way of radical unity, as we focus on love and compassion and gentleness and kindness and bearing with each other and forgiving each other and accepting each other, as we focus on unity so that we may really live into the essence of Christ, this eternal life, this kingdom here and now, that we might have you, your spirit, your presence in our hearts and lives be the one that rules based on like us living in a certain way that we, we begin to have this peace that, that, that isn't based on how everyone responds or based on what's going on, but it's based on you that, that we might know your love that surpasses knowledge as we seek this radical unity together. Oh, and the more we can understand this love, I know without a doubt, the more we will love. And the more the world will see, Lord Jesus, as you prayed, that you are love. May your kingdom come and your will be done in our lives as being done in heaven for your glory and honor and the advancement of your love, mercy, and grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.